0: Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Town, and we're so glad that you're with us tonight, worshiping with us. We are going through a series this semester where we're going through the first two books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus, and we are taking a look at the people of God. As we look at the people of God and God's plan for his people, we learn a little bit about ourselves, but more importantly, we learn something about our creator, God. Last week, Andrew looked at God's promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We also looked at the nature and the object of faith. Andrew mentioned what we can obviously see in the story, and as we'll see in the next several chapters about Abraham, Abraham is known for his faith, but often he acted from a place of unbelief where he took his eyes off of God's promises and on his situation. He looked on his situation and he lost faith. And in those moments, he acted in ways that were not consistent with his faith. Abraham found out what we have found out, and that is faith is hard. Faith is hard. Belief is hard. Remaining open-handed to the promises of God is how we defined faith last week. Remaining open-handed to the promises of God. The problem is it is difficult to keep our hands open to the promises of God when what we see with our eyes does not match what we believe he has promised. So tonight we try to answer the question, why is faith so hard? When we look at our lives, it does not always match what we think God says it will look like. We don't always see with our eyes the things that God has said will happen. And then there are the times like Abraham where we stumble and fall and we surprise ourselves with our own ability to lose faith in difficulties big or small. So what do we do when the reality of life does not match the promises of God? That's what we'll learn tonight, Lord willing, as we look to the scriptures. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak through your word. We need to hear from you. Father, thank you that when we look to the scriptures, we see the one that remains faithful even when we lack faith. God, I pray that we would see ourselves in this story of Abraham. God, most importantly, though, I pray that we would see you, your promises, your actions for your people. God, I believe you have a word for each person here tonight, each man, woman, and child. And God, I pray that you would speak clearly what you would have us to see in your word. God, I pray that you would speak to each one very specifically tonight. And that we would be changed, and we would be new, and we would see what faith looks like this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. If you grabbed a sermon outline on your way in, uh, the first six verses was printed on there, and a a very rough outline of what we're going to go through here tonight. But Genesis 15 verses 1 through 8 we'll cover in detail and we'll cover some of the rest of the chapter as well. Genesis 15:1 After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. So God addresses Abram here and he says, "Fear not." We have to ask the question, why would Abram be afraid? Well, if we take a look at the chapters 13 and 14 of Genesis, the chapters and the stories in between what Andrew preached on in chapter 12 and what we're looking at in chapter 15, a lot happens in two chapters. Basically, the point of those two chapters is to show us that though God promised Abram a people and a nation that would be very great, as many as the stars in the sky, the land is in chaos, In chapters 13 and 14, we see the land in chaos. We see kings and places that we don't relate to and we don't understand and we don't know what they are. But the point is that they're in chaos. People are warring against one another. Remember in Genesis 11, people built a tower to make a great name for themselves, and God scattered them to send them out for his purposes. Well, the problem is they scattered out and they took on their own cultures their own languages, they formed their own tribes, and they fought over people and land and resources. So in Genesis 13 and 14, the land is in chaos. But there's another problem. Abram still has not received what God promised him. God promised him a son. God promised him a people. God promised him land. And he has none of it. And not only that, when he looks at his life, his wife's life, when he looks at the land, he sees barrenness. He sees himself advanced in years. He sees his wife past the age of being able to give birth. And he sees the land stripped bare of all peace and all resources as tribes war against one another. So Abram looks at what God has promised and he looks at the reality of his life. And the two things do not seem to be adding up. So he could be afraid. God says, do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Verse two. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram looks at the reality of his circumstances and he comes up with a backup plan because God is not delivered in the way or in the timing that he believes that he would or should. And so Abram says, God, I have a plan to fulfill your promise. And he says, this, this servant in my house He will then be the heir. I will adopt him. I will give him an inheritance. This was a common practice. If you were childless in the ancient Near East, you would take a servant from your household. You would take them into your family and you would then give the inheritance to them to continue the family name and line. Abraham says, God, your promise hasn't come to pass. So I've got a plan. I'm going to go the way of this world and I'm going to take care of things to make sure that your promise comes true. We often have a backup plan in case God's promises don't come to pass. We listen to the promises of God. We listen to the things that he has written and the things that he has spoken. And we hope and we pray and we try to have a little bit of faith that he will come through. But in the back of our mind, we have a backup plan. Abram has a backup plan. This is a theme that we will continue to see in this series, in Abraham's life and in others' lives. People hear the promises of God and then they try their backup plan and they learn the backup plan is not God's plan. Look with me at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Notice in the previous verses, Abram in chapter, or in verse 3 says, Behold, you have given me no offspring. He wants God to behold what he is saying. He wants God to take pause and consider what Abram is saying. He's saying, God, look at the situation. It is not going the way you said it would. God's response to him is, no, you behold. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. Everything changes when the word of the Lord comes to us. He silences all backup plans and other nonsense that comes out of our mouth and comes into our mind when he speaks. He says, this man shall not be your heir. There's, in the Hebrew, in which this is originally written, it is a much stronger statement than what we read here. It's something more like, it shall not be so. Like you are speaking foolishness. It's not going to be that. It will be your own son. Verse 5. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God has given him his word. God has given him his promise. And now he gives him a physical vision, a physical sign to say, this is what you can count on. You can count on your offspring being the same as the stars in the sky. And I don't know where you grew up, but I grew up in the city where there's lots of light pollution. And when I was a kid, I thought there were a few stars in the sky, you know, maybe a few dozen or so, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand on a really clear night. Then my wife and I moved up here to Iowa and we would visit her family who live on a farm where there was way less light pollution. And I'm like, I never knew there were so many stars. There's got to be thousands of them, right? Think about Abram. Out in the desert, no trees, no light pollution, just stars. Think how many stars he could see. God gives him a physical, visual remembrance of his promise. Isn't it kind of God to do this? He's done it a few times for me where I'll be usually outside and I'll be experiencing what he has created. And he'll say, look at that. That's a metaphor for faith, or that's a metaphor for my love, or that's a metaphor for my faithfulness. He gives us these visual reminders or these visual visions of what he is like and what he can do in our lives. What a kind God. Where he doesn't just say, have blind faith, but he gives us these visual things to remind us what he has done and what he is about to do. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This theological phrase and this theological understanding is one of the most important in the Bible and will be repeated by Paul over and over and over again in multiple books in the New Testament. I want to explain this deep theological concept through us through Chipotle, the restaurant. I love Chipotle. I hate rewards programs for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I hate rewards programs is you used to have a physical like, punch card and I would lose it. Uh, some of you aren't old enough to remember physical punch cards. But no matter what system of rewards you use, it seems like it takes forever to add up. You have them keep scanning your phone over and over and over and over again. And you go there and you go there, it seems like dozens of times, and they're like, oh, you get a free cup of ice now. Why am I doing this? I hate rewards programs. It's such a waste of time. It's just a way to get more emails from more companies. There is one rewards program where I am a faithful member, and that is Chipotle. Because I eat there all the time anyway, so I might as well get something for it. And I typically order with my phone, because parking down by this Chipotle is the worst. And so I usually order on my phone and either run in and get it, or I can walk from here. Praise the Lord. I can walk to Chipotle from my office. What a gift. But I order on my phone, and it automatically gives me rewards. And I am 14 points from a free burrito which means I can literally order anything and I will have earned enough points to get a free meal. And I can't wait to experience that free meal. That free meal isn't free. I've earned it. It's a reward for all those purchases and all that money. I don't even wanna know how much money I've paid to get that quote-unquote free burrito. That's not what this is talking about. That's works righteousness. That's law-based righteousness. That's let me clean up my act so maybe God will love me. That's here's the bar. I hope I can leap up high enough to reach over the bar of righteousness. Imagine the joy that it would bring if I opened up my Chipotle app tomorrow and it just said, you have a free burrito. Just because, just because we care, just because you're great, just because we're glad you come to Chipotle, here's a free burrito. That is counted to me. That is given to me. That is not earned. That's what this verse is saying. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was credited to him. It was given to him. Romans 4 verse 11 describes it this way. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. We don't have a whole lot of context, maybe, for what this is talking about, but what Paul is saying as he reflects back on this verse. Genesis fifteen six that the Lord counted Abraham as righteous. He is going to do a lot of things now for Abraham, and Abraham's going to do a lot of things to show that he believes God. But right here, right now, in verse 6, he's saying, you're righteous right now. You are counted righteousness before you can do anything to earn it. Twice in the book of Romans, in chapter 4, Paul says that the Gentiles can now come to faith because just like Abraham, faith is granted by God and not earned through being Jewish or getting circumcised or following the law. Verse seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Abraham or, uh, Andrew covered this well last week, but Abraham was called out of a pagan nation that did not know God. One of these tribes that had come out and were dispersed after the tower of Babel, all of these people, God dispersed them all over the place. And we don't know who and where they had heard of Yahweh, but Abraham came out of a group of people that was a pagan people from a pagan land that did not know God. God is saying, you used to be this. Remember, I called you out of this, but now I am counting you as righteous. Notice this theme as we go through Genesis and Exodus, but also throughout the Old Testament. Once you were this, but now you're this. And then Paul picks up that theme in his letters. as Well, before Christ, before counted righteousness, you were this, but now you're this. We need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of who we are before the counted righteousness that we are given because of what Christ has done. We need to be reminded of our testimony. We'll talk more about this in a moment. Verse eight. And he said, Oh Lord, God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Abram still needs a sign. He needs an assurance. He's been encouraged by a promise. He's been encouraged by a vision. But Abraham says, I need more. It seems that Abraham is learning a little bit about his own heart. And he doesn't trust himself. He sees the problem is too great. I'm too old. The nations are a mess. The land is a mess. But you promised me this great thing. How do I know that it's going to come to pass? How do I know that I'm not just going to fumble it and blow it now that I've been counted as righteous? Last week, Andrew spoke of the danger of seeing only what we feel as faith. Abraham saying, "I, I feel like what you're saying is true, but I need something more. We have times where we muster up enough feelings where we have some faith. Maybe we're at church, maybe we're in the word, maybe we're on a missions trip and we feel the feeling of faith or being able to trust God or we're moved by what God has done for us. But when the rubber meets the road, we need more than a good feeling because feelings depend on us. We need something outside of ourselves that does not depend on us. On us. And God, in His grace, offers something more to Abraham. Genesis 15, verses 12 through 14, and then also verse 17. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years but i will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions verse 17 when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animals This is what God did. He took animals. He split them in two. He put half the animal on one side, half on the other with a walkway like this center aisle right between the split animals. And then we read here in verse 17 that the presence of the Lord goes through those split pieces of animals. And it says that a deep sleep fell over Abram. This was a common near eastern covenant. This is what kings would do to make a covenant with one another. And it was a symbolic covenant. They would sacrifice animals, split the animals in two, and they would walk hand in hand down the middle aisle through the split animals. And it was like a blood oath. It was saying, if I break my part of the covenant, let what has happened to these animals be done to me. May my life be taken as their life has been taken if I break my covenant. So God does a blood covenant with Abraham. But the presence of God is the only one to go through the animals while Abram is in a deep sleep. By doing this, God is saying a couple of different things. The first is the promise rests on me and my faithfulness. And he's saying, you're going to break your part of the covenant. You're going to sleep through the ceremony, the blood oath, and I am going to go through and I am going to say that if you break the covenant, may my body be broken to keep the covenant. That's what God is doing for Abram. God's covenant is based on his promises. So our righteousness is based On his promises because we don't hold up our end of the bargain and God says I'm going to keep my promise and my covenant with you and with my people even though you have broken the covenant for God to be just and uphold justice evil must be defeated and crushed and in order for the promise to stand there has to be a sacrifice But God here goes through showing I will give my very life and my very body when you inevitably break the covenant. Just like Abraham, for us to know God, we need this sacrifice on our behalf. Isaiah 53 prophesies that this will be Christ and this is what Christ will do. In Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and sins. Upon him was the chastisement or the judgment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, meaning Christ, the iniquity and the sin of us all. Here Isaiah is saying that we, like Abraham are going to sleep through the covenant. We're going to go our own way. We are not going to hold up our end of the bargain. And God is going to send his son to be broke for us, to be smitten, to be struck, to be crushed for our sins so that we could be made right with God. See, God is too holy And sin is too insidious, and this world is too cold and too dark for us to save ourselves. Our spiritual lives are barren. The world we live in is barren of the things of God. We need someone who is able to empathize with our weakness, the temptation, the suffering, the family drama, the betrayal, and the loneliness that we experience as a normal part of life. We need faith to be given to us because we can't believe enough to overcome these things. This is offered to us in the righteousness of Christ. The life that he lived, the perfect life, he didn't go astray. He had no sin. He always did the will of the Father. The death, he died in our place. His body broken on a cross for us. His resurrection power, his spirit indwelling us, and his return, which gives us hope, is our only hope. Faith and belief is hard, but our only hope is in counted righteousness that comes from Christ the only way that we can remain open-handed to the promises of God is to see what he has already done on our behalf so what are the implications of this text the real world application for us today first there is good news for us we are good news people we have received good news that we could be made right and have a relationship with a holy God Though that we have gone astray, though we've done our own thing, God has kept his promise and he has granted us righteousness. Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. For his knowledge shall the the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their sins. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Here Isaiah is prophesying counted righteousness. It says you and I can be counted righteous because Jesus was counted as a transgressor. Though he did nothing wrong. He takes our place so we can receive his righteousness. It isn't righteousness out of nowhere. It's the righteousness of Christ that is counted to us. Through our ancient ancestor Adam, by our nature and by our choice, we are sinful. We go our own way. We want the same autonomy from God that Adam and Eve wanted that we talked about in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. From Adam, we receive imputed sin, given sin. Through Christ, we receive imputed righteousness. Now we can be adopted into the faith and the promises of Abraham because of what Christ has done. And Paul has a lot to say about this. Romans chapter 4. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not the adherence of the law. Also the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Romans 4, 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake only. Here we go. Paul is commenting on this passage. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 8 that we're talking about here. He says, that promise wasn't for Abraham alone. This is our application right here. Paul's doing the hard work for me. It was counted to him, was not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised the dead Jesus, our Lord. Romans 5, 21 says, sin reigned in our bodies. Now grace can reign in our bodies through Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 4 says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Because of counted righteousness, we don't belong to sin anymore. We don't belong to the flesh. We don't belong to the world anymore. We have a new father. We have a new righteousness. We have a new people because of what Christ has done for us. So we have good news. Secondly, we have good news for other people as well. In Genesis 12, 3, which Andrew preached on last week, it says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be Blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing for others. We are counted as righteous through the finished work of Christ. We are counted righteous. We receive faith through him. We're open-handed to the promises of God, and then he leaves us here in the mess, in the barren land that we live in, because he has work for us to do. We are blessed to be a a blessing in galatians paul calls genesis 12:3 the gospel he calls it the gospel this might offend your theological sensibilities when we think about the gospel we think well that has to be the substitutionary atonement of jesus and the counted righteousness for us that's the gospel right that's how we're made right with god But Paul is telling us there's another part to the gospel. It's we're blessed to be a blessing. We're counted righteous. We're given good news so we can share that good news with other people. Substitutionary atonement is the mechanics of how we're saved. Being a blessing to others is why we are saved. So we can glorify God. We can bring the kingdom right here. Right now. We can show the world how good our God is right now. And Paul calls that the gospel, which means good news. Galatians 3, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through Faith, God did this work in us and now sends us out as his good news people because he's still adding people to Abraham's family. Remember, as many stars as there are in the sky, there's still work to do. There's still people to bless. And we're blessed to be a blessing. Third, we need to remember our testimony. There's two parts to our testimony. Our salvation story, the moment that we were first open-handed to the promises of God and the righteousness of Christ was counted to us, that's our salvation story. We did nothing to be saved but believe that this good news that we're talking about here tonight was true. We had no heritage that would save us. We weren't perfect children or perfect adults. We didn't live up to something and gained salvation. We have been given credited righteousness, credited to our account. This is our testimony. But there's another part of your testimony. And that is the day-to-day work that Christ is still doing in your life. Because we have counted righteousness, but we've got a long way to go to become more like Jesus. So he's still working on us. So we have the testimony of his daily faithfulness to us. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That is such good news for our daily life. Because our faith is so often based on our circumstances and our feelings. And our circumstances can change every second and so can our emotions. There were so many things this week that made faith hard for you and me. He has remained faithful even when we are faithless. When we don't have the faith we need or we act out of a place of not having faith and we go our own way, he remains faithful. Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by his baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. That newness of life means right here, right now, this life that we are living, we can live a new life. Because we have counted righteousness. So we have the testimony of our salvation. And then we have the testimony of the daily work that God is doing in our lives. And we can share that and encourage one another and encourage others also. That's one of the things that we do as we gather together here. We remind each other of the good news. Four years ago when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, I didn't cry. I cry almost every Sunday night when we sing together because you're reminding me of the good news. In some weeks I really need to be reminded by you of what the good news is. We sing each week about the faithfulness of our God and we sing to one another as we sing to God. You're still just as good as when I met you. He is faithful even when we're faithless. And lastly, because of what he has done, because of counted righteousness, we can act from a place of belief. We can remain open-handed to the promises of God. Verse six said, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 4.17 that we just looked at a moment ago says that he calls into existence the things that do not exist. He calls your faith into existence when you can't muster it up for yourself. He calls belief into existence when you don't feel like you can believe. The fact of the matter, friends, is that your righteousness from your own strength, can surpass the Pharisees. You can try and keep the whole law. You can beat your body to make it your slave. You can try to keep your own law and the law of God, but you cannot make it into the, the presence of God now or in the future and have this newness of life without counted righteousness. And to receive that, you have to have Belief, remaining open-handed to the promises of God. Scholar Walter Brueggemann says this about belief: God longs and yearns with a deep desire that mankind would simply believe Him, would simply take Him at. His word and believe what he says, then he would be satisfied to completion and will declare us just as righteous as he is. He longs for us to just believe that what he says is true, that he really does love us, that he really can help us, that we really can walk in newness of life today. Will Noah or Cain or Saul or Samson or Judas or Billy Graham or Ravi Zacharias or Mother Teresa or any of the Pharisees be in heaven? I cannot tell you. But I can tell you that Abraham will be because he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that can be your story too no matter what you've done, no matter how big or small you feel your faith is here tonight, you can believe God and be counted as righteousness. All your sins forgiven, all your unbelief forgiven, all your future assured in what Christ has already done for you. Have you believed God? Have you been open-handed To salvation, which comes from no other name in heaven or on earth. Do you believe in what Christ can do for you? In just a moment, we're going to have an announcement and we're going to close down the surface. But at the end of service, just as we do every week, we'll have uh, prayer team members up here. They'll have green lanyards on. They are here to pray with you. And one of the things I would invite you to come forward and pray about tonight is if you need belief if you need to believe that a holy god could love a person like you if you need belief for the difficult circumstances you are going through come forward we would love to cry out to god on your behalf for belief would you pray with me heavenly father thank you for your promise Heavenly Father, thank you that our righteousness does not depend on us. Father, thank you for your counted righteousness. Jesus, thank you that your body was broken for us. Thank you that our faith does not depend on works, but on grace. God, may we be a people that remembers the good news, shares the good news, and lives open-handed to the promises of our good God. In Jesus' name, amen.